0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning, dearly beloved in Christ. It is such an honor to be with you today at this prestigious place where all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are thought to be hidden in Christ and to be discovered by you. Um, I want to begin with a reading from scripture. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Paul's letter to the saints at Colossae, the book of Colossians chapter one. I'll give you a second to flip there, get your Baptist air conditioning going. Say amen if you have it. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth Everything He might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind became a minister. Thus far, the reading of the Word of God. Saints, I want to begin by telling you what I want you to get. First, I want to tell you what I want you to get, and then I'm going to give you my methodology so that you can maybe see how we're going to get there in the next, say, 30 to 35 minutes. What I want you to get, and I wrote it down because I wanted to be careful about how I said this. I want you to get that we don't forget the law, which is love. Because it is the measure of our consonance with God's prescription, his intent for humanity. But the gospel is able to reconcile our dissonances and the dissonances of our neighbors into the beauty of God. I'm going to read that one more time so that we're clear. And I want you to mark in your mind any questions that you might have about what this could possibly mean. What I want you to get is that we do not forget the law, which is love, because it is the measure of our consonance with God's prescriptive intent for humanity. But the gospel is able to reconcile our dissonance and the dissonance of our neighbors into the beauty of God. And now to my method. We're going to be looking at this scripture, hopefully in the light of some of the experience that I hope to share with you, and with an apologetic and public theology bent. So I'm pretty sure everybody in here takes or will take apologetics, but apologetics is the rational defense of the Christian faith. It is where we say Uh, to everyone who says, yes, but, to your faith, and gives a rational answer. That better be Jesus on the main line. (laughs) Um, So apologetics... I've been active in apologetics since about 2002, but my experience with apologetics goes about 10 years prior to that. And in what I have experienced, almost every apologetics encounter boils down to one of two questions. And if Dr. Plummer disagrees, he will correct me later. How do you know that and the problem of evil? How do you know the Bible is reliable? How do you know Jesus was God, the Messiah? How do you know that your hand is in front of your face? How do you know anything at all? How do you know that uh, this other means towards God isn't, isn't just as valid. So the how do you know question is huge. The problem of evil. Look, I prayed to God, and I prayed to God, and I prayed to God, and my puppy still died in the third grade. And I do not mean to make light of that. There's nothing light about this. These, This is where people lose their faith. If they have it. This is where... The, the, those without faith find reasons not to have it. But the law draws us past some of those questions because we are unable to make ourselves reconcile with perfection. Just this morning, I've made a dozen mistakes. And if, I'm, if fellowship with perfection is what our hope is in, I am without hope in the world. And, and this is huge because we, we see the cacophony of, of pain and sorrow and grief in the world. And the problem of evil presents itself, yes, out there, But yes, in here. And it makes us weep if we meditate on it for any amount of time. Here's my argument that the law of God is God's character expressed in prescriptions for humanity in their thought and behavior. So the law of God is not arbitrary rules. It doesn't come from nowhere. It is the very character of God. Do you want to know how to be like God? Look at the law. It was always intended to be a deep pedagogy. You know what pedagogy is? It's uh, learning. It's always meant to be a deep learning into the character of God. And if we are to image God, that teaching has to be deeply embedded in us. So first, law of God. Law of God is God's character expressed in prescriptions for human thought and behavior. And the law reveals transgressions in human thought and behavior. And the gospel is the good news... Of how God in Christ reconciled all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is incredibly significant because dissonance is difficult to reconcile into consonance. Now, these are terms, these are musical terms that we use. And I, I hope to demonstrate dissonance and consonance to you by a musical analogy. And we will get to that in a moment. But next I want to say that because of the gospel, therefore, having been reconciled to God, in spite of our lack of conformity to the law, we are all the more inspired to work towards consonance with God's law. And whenever I say law and love and character, I'm using these terms as convertible terms. Law and love and character. Do this when you have time. I know you have a lot of homework and a lot of things. But when you have time, go through your New Testament and see if you can find... All of those times where the law and love are compared with one another. In the words of Jesus, when he says, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Or in the letters of Paul, say, Romans 13, that, that famous passage about obedience to authorities, where it says, oh, no one anything but to love them. So, our desire to be conformed to the law is a result of Christ and his harmonization of our dissonances with the character of God. And in this, my friends, is a deep mystery. Yet, we treat others as if their lack of conformity to God's will can be reconciled in Christ as well, as we strive toward loving them. So, we had a lack of conformity until Christ, and still do, it persists. Amen? And yet, we go to our neighbor knowing that their lack of conformity to the law is able to be harmonized by the very Christ that harmonized us. This does away with arrogance, This does away with legalism. We don't not say what the law is. Then we have have nothing to conform ourselves to. Or to be reconciled with in Christ. Of course. The mission of the church, right? To, To make disciples and to teach. To teach what, does it say? It says, all that I've commanded. Commands are the law. And and the new law he gave to us, love one another, right? Law and love, there it is again. It keeps showing up. Let me tell you a little about my story. So I'm not famous. And this is Probably important, because being famous should make me suspect, just from the beginning. If I am famous, who knows? Uh, Famous people have said all kinds of crazy stuff. But I'm what you call uh, fame adjacent. Um, I I was blessed out of music school to get hired by uh, my dream job. Uh, I was a staff songwriter uh, for a division of Joe Bett Music Company called West Grand Media. West Grand was the street that Motown Records was on, Hitsville, Motown. You've seen the pictures, I'm sure. And, uh, and Joe Bett was the music publisher of all those great songs that everybody knows. And my, you know all that Stevie Wonder stuff and all that. And, and my goal from this tall was to write for the same people that Stevie Wonder wrote for. I wanted to write those great songs. All the ones he sang and then all the ones everybody else sang. Right? I, I, I wanted uh, deep in me to sort of bless the world with music. And so I was, I was blessed. And my job was to get up in the morning and show up at 9 o'clock in the morning and to write songs. And I wrote songs till 6 o'clock at night, and then they kick you out. Because they didn't want this sort of unwholesome pattern of life where you, you work all the time into the wee hours of the morning. They just wanted it to be a regular job. And I contracted with them. My job was to write a song a week, 52 songs a year, and they would choose 12 of them, a song a month. They'd choose the best 12. And and then the rest would be returned to me as my own property. Um, And it was a blessing. It was an incredibly rich time in my life. And in preparation for that great blessing, I I went to music school at Musicians Institute, where, where I wanted to understand what made the difference between a good song and a bad song. Because... I think we at least have some intuition that some things are better than other things. Now, we're told that you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I believed that for a very long time, uh, until I really started delving into this craft of songwriting. And I wanted to learn more deeply what that meant. So I took a, uh, a class called Style and Analysis. You You guys probably take style and analysis courses here if you're in the music department. If you don't, style and analysis is a way of looking at music uh, in a particular sort of cultural way that lets you look at the style of it in its time and in its place, and then you, you analyze the work itself and its structures and its harmonies, and you analyze those things in accordance with these tools that music theory gives you. So in a way, I'm, I hope to give you a crash course here in some of the most basic style and analysis things. So I was sitting there, and Carl Schroeder was my teacher. He was, he was the musical director for Sarah Vaughan for a lot of years. You could actually you know, <clears throat> go on YouTube and see old Sarah Vaughan videos, and he's in the background playing the piano. And he was an atheist and was very vocal about it because when you're looking into the deep things of the world, your core beliefs show up. And he was very much a physicalist with regard to the human mind. I mean, how do I know this about my style and analysis professor, right? It shows up. And we were doing an analysis of a Haydn piece and then a Mozart piece. And the Mozart piece was structurally just crystalline. It was incredible. The man, um, it's, it's like he never knew how to break a rule. It, it was crazy. Yet to my ear, it was doing some, some incredibly gymnastic things. And I kept wondering, like, why is this so good? Why is this so good? And you keep looking at the way that we analyze these harmonies and things, and you go, it really is better. Like, the Haydn was great. Look, I love it. I enjoy it. But, it was, but this was objectively better. It wasn't just sort of my personal preference at play here. The thing was better. And I started questioning, like, what about, what about all that stuff that I don't think stands up to this, this level of scrutiny, but I like it? What about that? Well, we call that taste, right? And and I would define taste for you as the rightly attuned preference for those things that are excellent in themselves. Um, I, just as an example, I really like McDonald's french fries. I I think they're the very best french fries ever conceived. And they are probably the most efficient fat and salt delivery devices known to man. As food, objectively, saints, objectively, are, is that good food? Does it do what food is supposed to do for your body? Not a fan of eggplant. I'm just putting that out there. You may love it. My wife, Dr. Brooks, loves her some eggplant. Is it good food, though? Does it do for your body objectively the things that food is supposed to do? Sure. It's objectively good. Will not pass my lips. So my preferences and the objective good of things can be independent, can't they? Isn't that true of the law? I have to tell you that in my youth, I was a bellicose young man. That means I liked to fight. And to this day, I sort of get my fix in video games because... I like a good scrap. And I didn't become a Christian apologist because I'm, you know, a shrinking violet. I like a good scrap. But the Bible tells me I'm supposed to be a man of peace. And that every word should be seasoned with salt for the benefit of those who might hear. So, if I'm going around sort of indulging my preference, and you'll see it occasionally, it peaks. It peaks out. I am not being true to the law, am I? Even if I'm right about all my propositions, I've approached this with sin in the beginning of the whole endeavor. Not for your good, not for your love, not because you're the apple of God's eye, but because I want to fight you. And this, th- in this is dissonance. There is a key that I'm supposed to be in, and for those who aren't into music, a key is a series of notes which is sort of the, the, the bones of the music that we're going to play. And I'm playing outside the key from the very beginning. And I may hit some notes that are in the key, but I'm outside of the key. So these are some of the concepts that we're going to be playing with today. Um, Law and gospel as the key, and then God's harmonization of our playing outside the key. All right, should we get to work? I'm going to give you a key. That's our key. Am I at home right now? Is this the place where you feel like, ah, okay, that's, uh, I can sit in this couch and turn on the TV, right? Now I'm moving away from home. That's my first step out the door. Um, Songwriters know this. Lots of songs are written just with these two. And what is that song about? That song is about a shut-in. Who's a stalker. And (laughs) And... He's looking out his window at somebody who's walking by, and he's longing to be married to them. Like, it's a little weird, right? But what does the music tell you? I'm home, I'm on the front porch, and I'm right back home. This is okay. I got on the bus, and I'm on my way to my friend's house. Right? And you can see it from here. You can almost feel the draw to it, can't you? And that's your friend's house. It's comfortable. And maybe his mama lets you get into the fridge. But eventually, you got to go home. And songwriters know this too, because you know a song about friendship and the supports that friendship gives you. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) So we're at our friend's house, and uh, eventually you actually do long to go home, don't you, saints? That's the I want to go home uh, chord. Uh, It's uh, just to prove it to you. (laughs) Don't you want me to go there? But... But we all know that the road home is fraught with peril. You feel that? That's the the baby you done me wrong chord, right? (laughs) Which heightens your desire and hope. It's like breathing in, isn't it? And I'm holding that breath to eventually take you here. And there you are. That's a key. You feel that? It is so in your cultural psychology that I can do this for you, and you all go, ah, and you get it. But home here is not the same place it was when you left, remember? It was comfortable before, and now it's relief. It's a new perspective on home, and a musician knows how to make this happen for you or to not deny it to you. So that's in a key. Everybody understand that? There's pretty much, pretty much I could play any chord, and if I play the scale, it's going to sound pretty consonant. There's some patches of dissonance, and that's where that pull towards home comes from, but consonants... Is the rule in a key? Is that consonant or dissonant? Dissonant. Dissonant. Are those reconcilable, though? Now, musicians, we understand those things to be reconcilable. And in fact, when we begin learning about keys, like I just taught you, I've pretty much set out of bounds almost half of the Western scale. Not even to mention, you know, scales that aren't Western. quarter tone scales and all of that stuff. Um, so there's a lot of stuff out of bounds, Yeah. But musicians understand that all of this, everything here, can be understood in light of the key, the key center. Even what we would call 12-tone music is generally understood by our ears and understood harmonically in analysis within a key. So, I'm going to play for you something I wrote. This was a, you know, sorry it didn't work out kind of song, right? Ah. Didn't work out. (laughs) The melody goes something like, I still belong to you. I wish I could marry you, though I know our love is through all the same. Could I do? In the melody, I brought in a lot of strangers in paradise, right? Especially that part when I went, I wish I could. That's my melody. That's what I'm playing. I wish I could. There it is in the next chord. But my melody doesn't stay there. It goes back to that tension. I wish I could marry you. Hear that? Hear it? That's actually in the key. Both of those are in the key, but I brought in some notes in the harmony, in the harmonization that brought this dissonance. Hear that? That's not in the key. But I brought it in. I entered into the dissonance. Christ enters into our dissonance, saints. In order to Reconcile us to himself. This note reconciles this note and that together this way. In that chord, in that harmony, you find these relationships. Ooh. In this context, though, that's the law. Here's my transgression harmonized by Christ. And then when I resolve, at the end. What's that? Here's where I'm going. This is the, the tonic chord, that's the home chord. Here's the chord I'm playing. It's a half step above it, it's, it's this relationship. Drawing us back home. To that sweetness. Back to love. Drawing us back to the law. Theologians call this the third use of the law, right? You guys heard of this? Three uses of the law? It's a sort of Reformation thing. First use of the law is to draw you to Christ. It's the mirror in which you look at yourself and you say, I don't measure up. I'm broken. I, I failed. And the gospel comes as good news to that, yes? But then we don't let go of the law, do we? It, it no longer has venom for us because the scripture that we read today tells us that Christ is a firstborn from the dead, and that in His body of flesh, by His death, you yeah, remember what death is? Isn't it the curse for transgression? Christ took on the curse for our transgression saints. That's the gospel, right? But then what does the law become for us? Am I now allowed to kill and steal, beat you up and take your stuff? No, I'm actually commanded to love you. Is there there something new in that? No, I'm still not supposed to kill you and take your stuff. That actually is the expression of God's character to you. So let me ask a question. So what? This makes sense of our lives, doesn't it? I mean, this, this is a, a, a great tale, and I'm going to use that word again, harmonize, to harmonize our experience with what? A mythology with, so what? You got a great story. Helps me a little bit maybe to see it in this musical analogy. It's actually uncanny how it lines up. But so what? What if you get on the train with... uh, an atheistic, trans human being who, who's a little angry and mean because he's been angry and mean to, been, someone's been angry and mean to them their whole lives. And they're shaking their fist at power, at authority, the same authority that now you strive to live at peace under, right? Is the gospel for them? Did God reconcile that sin or just mine? Does it just work for me and my pain? Does it work for me and the ways that the world has kicked me around, but not them? Well, of course it does. So how could we but love them? Do you remember when I said that taste was the rightly attuned preference for those things that are excellent in themselves? God made that human being in the image of himself. Do I see my beloved in that human being? What about the other end of the political spectrum, saints? How about the MAGA hat wearing Trump voter? Don't you love them too? Isn't that the image of God too? Didn't the cross stand for them too? This is what we mean by public theology. And this is the, the sort of next step from apologetics, right? You go into the world with, look, you do not go into the world with the Kalam cosmological argument in order to, to beat people up because now you're smart. Ooh, smart. We love smart saints. I mean, I'm a Presbyterian. You, you don't get to, that's the price of admission, right? You... <laughs> du Bois talks about finding an oasis of faithfulness and holiness in the dusty desert of smartness and money. Th- this is the testimony of the gospel. This is the testimony of the cross. This is why we die daily. You're entering into this final semester of the year, right? You're struggling with new professors and papers, and you know you're you're trying to figure out how this enclave, how this safe place to be a Christian is going to translate out in the missions field, which just means your backyard, just means your neighbor. I'm telling you that there is no better preparation than learning to take up your cross. Because someone took up a cross and they bore it for you. So is it uncomfortable to talk to either my stereotypical lefty person that I said or the stereotypical righty person that I said? Yeah, it's uncomfortable for me on both sides. But you know what? That's, that's, my, that's my cross. And if, and if I can't love them, and love is always in accord with the truth, right? That's why you, that's why you keep your apologetics, right? The apologetics and all of that, that's the iron fist in your velvet glove, right? You're firm with it, but you, you, you have recourse to it, and, and it makes you solid. And when you're in those conversations, and after you've had fellowship, right, you've eaten what's set before you, and you, you've healed their sick, you've done them some good, right? I'm referring to the sending of the 70, right? And, and then you proclaim to them that the kingdom has come near them. Well, you've already been in it with them, haven't you? You've borne their burdens. You've become part of them. You've had that intimacy with them. And in the back of all that, there's this strong arguments. All the stuff that makes you know that Jesus is God and the Bible is true. And so the so what question comes. This is my last word. Christ died to reconcile all kinds of people. And all of your arguments and all of your education, all of your preparation is bent towards doing that in this world. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have but little power. We might be able to say a kind word here or there, or present ourselves in a certain way here or there, and we never know the result. But we know you are the powerful one who, whose strength is made complete in our weakness. Teach us to love one another. Let us not forget your statutes. And let us understand it in that suffering and death and resurrection that is our hope and the hope of any who would have it in this world. And so it's in the name of Jesus that we pray to you. And your saints said, Amen.